Welcome to Making Action Happen with Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain. We're here to discuss public policy issues in our home state of Colorado and beyond. Making Action Happen is presented by Action 22. Find out about our organization at action22.org. Now, here are your hosts, Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain. Hello and welcome to Making Action Happen. I'm your host, Brian McCain, this week. Unfortunately, Sarah cannot be with us today. She had some work stuff to do, but um, we're kind of lining up the next few weeks with a myriad, saying I can't talk, a myriad of topics um, when it comes to the legislature, what's going on. Um, we've had some candidates. We're going to have a candidate on today that's just going to speak a little bit. And with that, let's get it started. So, Rick, I met you. It's been about six years now. Um, I was working for my my former boss, Congressman Tipton, and you came in the office with some issues that we helped to address or tried to help to address. Um, and then recently, as I transitioned jobs and you retired, um, we ran into each other again, and you told me some news. But first off, let's start by just saying a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your background. Uh, my name is Richard Arco, and uh, I grew up in Pueblo, Colorado. Went to school at Adams State College, and then I uh, moved to Denver for a little while. It wasn't my cup of tea, so I moved back to the the, the metropolis of Pueblo, Colorado, <laughs> the big city, and of Pueblo. big big city. Big well, you city. went to Adams, so yeah. It I, well, it was yeah. actually after yeah. living in Alamosa, it was back to the big yeah. city. But I worked at the mill for a few years and decided that was uh, too hard of physical labor, and I ended up at the Federal Bureau of Prisons for. Just a few months shy of 24 years. Wow. And uh, November 30th, I said I'd had enough of that. And there's a whole host of reasons we could get into yes. <laughs> of why I could not continue to work for that place. And uh, the last six years of that, I spent as the president of uh, the union local there. And probably about four or five years before that, I'd been pretty involved in the union. But the last six years, I was the president. So uh, Sarah, who's usually with us, she actually went to Adams also. And um, one funny thing, when I, I started this job, and I've said it before on the show, it's like, oh, at least I won't have to drive to Alamosa anymore. Not that I dislike Alamosa, but I was constantly on the road between the West Slope, Alamosa, the Valley, and Pueblo. And now I spend about two days a week in Alamosa. Ah. <laughs> so kind of like one of those things when you're a kid, you know, I'll never work fast food, and then you end up working fast food. That's what happened to me. I jinxed it. But And Adams, um, their members of Action 22 were very involved in with um, – education, the Valley, you know, anything, um, related to just the prosperity of rural Colorado and the way I've been looking at it. And a lot of our guests is we look at Pueblo as the hub of rural Colorado. So if you look at the action 22 map, those are all the counties we cover El Paso County's in it. Um, they're, they're kind of different than the rest of it, but they, they are in action 22. Um, but if Pueblo succeeds, rural Colorado succeeds. If Pueblo succeeds, Alamosa succeeds. So that's why um, we really like to bring guests on uh, running for office, and we offer it to anybody running for office. doesn't matter where your party is, as long as you're an Action 22 member. So with that, when I saw you on Saturday, you said you're going to run for office. So what are you running for? Well, I'm, I'm trying to run for Pueblo County Clerk and Recorder's Office. So I'm really late in the game. Mm -hmm. I'm not a politician. I'm not well-connected. So this could be the shortest 
candidacy in the history of Colorado, honestly. <laughs> um, I announced on, I think it was Secretary of State's website on mm-hmm. the 20th of February, which I found out is really late. Mm-hmm. So uh, I've been trying to play catch up to the other candidates, and we'll just have to see how it goes. So what made you want to run for this seat? Well, I think the the clerk and recorder's office is super important, especially since the last years in elections. Elections, uh, there's been a lot of questions about mm-hmm. about if they're fair and equitable. And I don't, I don't, I'm not saying that the current guy, the incumbent, mm-hmm. Bo Ortiz, is in any way, shape, or form bad with elections because I don't, I don't think that he is. Mm-hmm. But I think that the 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 appearance in his office, mostly because of the motor vehicles division, is so bad. The optics are bad with him leaving early, and I and I get that he's being harassed. But the thing is, is if you can't have the faith of the people to mm-hmm. license your vehicle, it's going to come eventually. Eventually, it's going to come to a head where they start calling in to question his work ethic and his ability to run fair elections. Whether it's bound, it's 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 based in truth. Mm-hmm. Or just fiction, which I think it'll probably be based in fiction. But the thing yeah. is, is that it feels like to me that democracy, all you have to do to threaten it is put out a fake tweet to call to question whether there we have any say or not. And, and the whole system, it's, it's like the U.S. dollar. It's backed by our good faith. It's not mm-hmm. backed by gold. It's not backed by anything except for that Rick and Brian believe that this dollar is worth something. And I think the same can be said for elections. Elections are only as good as we believe they are. Mm-hmm. That That's a, a valid point, and I didn't think of that. Um, and, and again, I, I agree with you. I don't think there's any lost integrity with the election. I don't think anything shady is going on, right? I think I think our elections are ran well, and I know people that work in that department, and you know whether or not they like their boss doesn't matter, but they get pretty offended when they say that, something's cheating or somebody's cheating in it because I know they work hard in there, but he is over the motor vehicle part as well. And you're, you're 100% correct that if that's called into question, then the other thing, even though they're not connected at all, they are because it's one individual that is elected that covers this. And I can see how that can cause the mix up and kind of the stir up and loss of faith for lack of a better term. Yeah, I just think it's a slippery slope. If we don't like the incumbent because of the way he's running one part, then we're going to just naturally let it slide into other parts. And, and, you know, once people are dissatisfied, they make it up in their mind they're dissatisfied. And I think that that position is so vital Mm -hmm. to the running of, forget Pueblo County, the whole country, the state, everything. This really, really matters. And when I – part of what got me in it really late – is that I saw the other candidates and they said, well, we're going to be nice. We're going to, we're going to be nice to people. Okay. Well, how are you going to be nice to people? Mm-hmm. They don't have a plan moving forward to, to shorten the lines, to, to get rid of the appointments, to open satellite offices, whatever their plan. They don't have those plans. They're like, I've got friends and I'm going to be nice. And that sounds great, but it doesn't, it's meaningless. Yeah. And, um, I just bought a car, um, bought it from a family member. So I didn't, have the opportunity to put the temporary place that you get when you're, you buy it from a dealership and uh, something was messed up somewhere, but you know, it took a few months to get the title and then going in, I had to make another appointment to get the license plate. So my car sat there for six months without plates. We finally got them, I think last month. 
Um, what, what are some ideas you have or a plan you have to shorten these wait times, make it more efficient? Basically I buy a car, I need tags and I don't want to wait three months. So there's, there's a couple of things that I've thought about that, that really need to be done to shorten the lines. First off, the county requires you, the state requires you to license our vehicle. It's not because we go down there because we want to. We're yeah. being, it's, a, <laughs> no. it's a forced situation. Yeah. We, we, we allow ourselves to be forced to register our vehicles. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. I know that sounds crazy, but that's, that's in essence what we do. So when you go down there, you should be treated with respect. And, I, mm-hmm. and, and there's a lot of candidates saying that, that you should be treated with respect. But to shorten the lines, and the biggest thing I think is – we're making appointments two, three months out, being fed misinformation. You come down there. You don't really have the right things mm-hmm. to, to get your plates. So now you're making another appointment and tying up another clerk's valuable, very mm-hmm. valuable time because you're now coming back two and three times to get your business done. First off, get rid of the appointment system because if you get if you're required to get plates on your vehicle, and you happen to get off work early at 1 o'clock on a Tuesday, you should be able to go do your business with the county when it's convenient for you. Not make an appointment six months out. Okay, second thing is, as I brought up, there's a complete lack of leadership in that office. Those clerks and recorders in those offices are dedicated, hardworking people Mm -hmm. that have a lack of leadership in their office. If you talk to one clerk... They give you one bit of information. You talk to another clerk. They give you a different bit of information on the same question. That's because they're not communicating with their supervisor. Their supervisor hasn't made their expectations clear. So now you're tying up time, and so is everybody else in Pueblo County, to go back repeatedly. So that that in itself, communication so that all those clerks know the same thing and they're on the same page would shorten the wait just from that. It seems like you know a little bit about that. I've talked to <laughs> I've talked to employees, and I bought I bought a new car last year, and uh, it, it my my personal experience was okay mm-hmm. if it was, but I my uncle likes to buy and sell cars, use cars all the time, and he's always trading cars, and uh, he he's super frustrated. Yeah, and the car dealerships, you talk to the car the used car dealerships in particular, and they're having issues, and the trucking companies are having issues with the same thing. They're getting told to come back, come back, come back. So that forces trucking companies, locally owned trucking companies that could possibly move to another county to avoid this mess to get uh, trip permits. So they're spending money that they shouldn't have to be because they can't get in and they can't legally drive their trucks across our county without plates. Yeah, and um, I'm not going to name names, but uh, I know quite a few people that have since registered their car in different counties. Because it's just faster, you know, and they have a, a brother, a friend that lives in Los Animas, somewhere like that. And so they register there. So not only is that technically illegal, um, the county's missing out on the money. It, it's a financial impact to Pueblo County when you have people going out of the county to register their vehicle and, and, and pay the fee there. Um, when When you're looking at it, um, let, let's say from a managerial standpoint, because I know your, your time at the prison, you were in a managerial spot, correct? In my job, no, but as the it's, union it's president, union, yeah. very much yeah. so. Yeah, I had 
like six or eight people basically yeah. working for me for, it, uh, for, for free, but I still had to manage yeah. their, their work assignments and expectations and training requirements and all that stuff. So, so you have experience managing people and, yeah. and time management and all yeah, those things. I do. And you feel that's lacking from the county clerk's office right now. I do. You know, I, I look at it this way. I, it sometimes feels like with all the stuff that's been in social media about the incumbent that this is more of a part-time job. It's not like his life. This isn't like what he does. He, you know, he ran a business and he runs other side gigs and things. And I think that Bubble deserves a full-time professional county clerk. I'm not, not about flipping off reporters and, and I get it. He's frustrated and I would be yeah. if I was in his shoes too. Yeah. I, mean, I, I mean, I don't want to just pick on the guy cause it's, I get it. I yeah. get it. But that's not really a good way to win voter support, <laughs> trust, and respect. <laughs> That's true. And, and um, this is going to be a battle for you because there's, from what I understand, there's a few people running for this spot, correct? There's a total of six people six running people. for this spot. Wow. And is that just on one party or is that between both parties? That's on one party. One party. So one then party. The, the other party, I think, has probably one or two as I think well. It's one, I think it might even be one now. I'm but, not sure. But yeah. But being new to politics, you're going into this, it's kind of like a... Uh, learn fast or throw you in the deep end kind of thing. It's definitely sink or swim, but you know, I'm trying to keep a positive attitude about it that if I can't get in this, at least a few people learn my name and Mm -hmm. I will learn people's names and and I'll learn the system and see how it works. And and more importantly, um, even if you're not elected, um, you're bringing attention to some of these things and it's, it's getting it out there. And the more attention you bring on it, that's when it hopefully changes or, somebody else comes in and fixes it. So whether or not, you know, you're, you win, I think it's important that you bring this up and you talk to people, you talk to the constituents and say, look, there's a lot of problems here and this isn't going to change until somebody, until you vote to change this or the incumbent pays attention and, you know, he sees what's happening and he changes it. But, um, that's the beautiful thing about elections. I guess we won't know until that ballot hits the box. We won't, we won't, but it, it definitely needs to change. And I think that, um, even though it's not good for me to have that many candidates running, it means that if I've talked to 2,000 people and they've all talked to 2,000 people, we've already got a big message out there that yeah. we, the people, will not tolerate what's going on. Yeah. We, we don't appreciate it. So what, what's been your most frustrating thing going into this at the last minute? Um, so there's two ways to get on the ballot. Mm-hmm. You can get on through petition. You can get on through uh, the caucus. You can get voted in. You have to have 30% of the delegate votes at the county assembly. So I thought, the first thing I thought, I was, well, I'm going to look at the website. How do I run? Mm-hmm. Look at the county website. How do I run for, for this job? So there's a bunch of information on there, and a lot of the information uh, contradicted itself. Mm-hmm. So how many signatures that I need? There's like three different answers, uh, three different due dates and three different numbers. <laughs> so then I decided, well, you know, I'm going to go to the secretary of state's website mm-hmm. and I'm going to go ahead and see what's on the secretary of state. Secretary of state said the person that, that has to approve my petition. Um, and they had numbers on, on how many signatures I needed and when they were due by. And that's what I've been going by. But it said that I needed to get everything approved through the county clerk and commissioner, which is kind of a really a, a, a strange thing that the person that is responsible for approving your petition to get onto the ballot is the person you're running against. It's yes. the only position in the whole county yeah, and maybe the whole state that, that it requires that. Um, 
the only other exception may be something with the Secretary of State's yeah. office. I, I, I could see that happening there too. But other than that, I have to go through the person I'm running against, which is uncomfortable. But the part that <laughs> kind of really bothered me is, is I knew I was behind. I knew I did get, need to get these signatures because I don't know a bunch of people that are going to be delegates. I don't have a delegate list as of today. I still don't have a delegate list. So I can't call and talk to these people and tell them what I'm about. So when I, I, I was directed by the Secretary of State's website that I had to, for this position, get my petition approved through the, uh, the incumbent. So I went back to their website the same day. It was on the 22nd, February 22nd, 2 I went on the website. I called the elections office. They changed the website about an hour and a half after I talked to them because I was frustrated at this point. I'd already been researching this and finding out that I cannot get an answer on how I run. So the website was changed. I mean, if somebody wants to get a Cora, it was on two twenty two twenty two. They changed the website. <laughs> easy to remember. They, they, yeah, it was easy enough to remember for me. So they changed the website. So that was frustrating. So then I found out I needed to get a petition approved by the incumbent. So I went to the elections office, which is what the Secretary of State's website said, go to your county elections office. So I went there, and the county elections office said, that's not our job. We don't do that. I said, well, the Secretary of State says it does. So the, the guy down there was nice enough. He said, I, I will get you. I'll figure this out. So I stood there for about 45 minutes or an hour while he made phone calls and checking stuff on the computer, and he ended up giving me the Secretary of State's petition, which, okay, well, if I could have just done that, then I would have just, you know, just tell me. I, I would have done yeah. that. So then anyway, uh, I got that down there, and then, of course, uh, the incumbent has two days to approve my form. So really what should have taken me in my, my mind an hour took mm-hmm. me over a week to get that. I could have been getting signatures. It took me a week to get this thing. Wow. Done. And if you're new to this game, um, it's hard to navigate the system. It's, um, I always said that a great business for somebody to start would be a, um, and they're out there, but like a political consulting on a local level, somebody that can like walk you through everything because there's a lot of, a lot of things you have to do a lot of boxes you have to check and it's not that clear if the the layman wanted to run for office they would have no idea where to even start no um, no when you look at like all these websites especially like the secretary of state there is no search box how do i yeah. no you don't you literally have to try to navigate the entire website because they're it's not easy yeah and then they refer you back to the local and the local says no you got to go with them and so there's a a lot of finger pointing about whose responsibility it is and doesn't really matter when you're trying to run for office. You just need the right answer. Yeah. And this has been brought up with a few candidates I've been talking to. So the petition process, gathering signatures, how many signatures did you need to get to petition on? My final answer was 1,000 okay. signatures from people registered to the party I'm running for mm-hmm. by March 15th. Okay. Which is impossible to do right now. It's impossible to do right now. And it's also when you look at it, there's there's companies, there's agencies that just gather signatures, and you pay for those signatures, and it's not cheap. Um, because if you're just getting signatures, you have no way to verify if the person is registered to that party, if they're even registered to vote, and that's where they'll get you. You could turn in your thousand signatures, and they go back and take a select few, and if there's something wrong with those select few, then they could throw the whole thing out. And, um, 
you have time to cure it, but it's not realistic. It's not. And so, so there's that, like, I, I truly am when I'm done with this, I'm going to write a play by play book on how to do this. Like not for sale. I'm just saying someone wants to run. I, I think anybody should be able to run for office. If they've got good ideas and they've got in their heart to change things and make things better for, Mm -hmm. for the community, then they should be able to run. But (laughs) <laughs> that that that's not really like you said it's not easy so when you have a a petition and you get beat out of a week it doesn't sound like much but when i stand in front of a grocery store not king supers because they kick you out but um <laughs> if you stand in front of a grocery store you can expect seven people an hour if you're talking yeah. fast you can get seven people an hour that say they're of your party that will sign your petition and sign it correctly. So that's the other problem is a lot of people are in a real hurry and they'll sign their name and they'll date it and that, but they don't put the County. They don't put their yeah. printed name. You as the petition circulator cannot fill that information in. So it's invalid. Yeah. And I, I always get them coming to my door and that right. Always in the middle of dinner, knock at the door. Will you sign the petition? And I'm like, no, absolutely not. So if you do it that way, you're, that's an uphill battle, you know? Yeah. I tried in my neighborhood to pass petitions. <laughs> and so it was, it was a great afternoon. It really was. I got one signature, but my neighbors, cause I've lived in the same spot for 25 years. All my neighbors wanted to talk. So we talked about Ukraine, yeah. about black Hills, about nuclear power. We talked about Literally everything, but my <laughs> yeah, campaign. It yeah. was it was a pleasant yeah, afternoon and it yeah. was a nice day. The weather was beautiful, but not very effective. Yeah, yeah. If you find somebody yeah. that actually wants to sign your petition and get your give them your signature, they're going to talk to you for an hour. Yeah, because it, they're involved and they know what's going yeah. on. Yeah. So yeah, and like you said, you could you can pay petitioners, and I don't know how much you got to pay these people to. It's to not do it. cheap, but you also have to pay for each petition you have. You have to pay a hundred or one hundred fifty dollar fee to the Secretary of State. Yeah, and they have to approve that too. Yeah, it's. Um, I, I remember we did it. Um, I, I did it on some campaign, and it was a, a congressional campaign. And we're talking like sixty thousand dollars just to go gather signatures. Yeah. I mean, it was insane. And but then we saw what happens if if you don't have good people getting signatures, they'll mess up and it'll be caught. And it's not your fault, you know. And then and so and then the other problem with petitions are so everybody that signs petition has to be a registered voter and mm-hmm. their signature has to be, well, I guess they passed laws recently. So if you put your middle, middle initial on your voter registration, but yes. not on the form, I guess they got rid of that. But a lot of people, if you don't put the address at which you registered to vote, then that will be invalid. So both parties sell access to their roster mm-hmm. so that when Brian signs my petition, I can say, Oh, it's Brian and fill in your middle name yeah. and Oh, Hey, you didn't register at the house you're living. Now you registered at this house. You need to get that changed, but put on the old address on this. So to assure you can do that. And those, those fees for that database run from like 300 to $3,000. Yes. So like you just said, so you're running for a local uh, race. There's no way I can raise, have $60,000 worth of petitioners out there and spend $3,000 on a program to make sure that I'm getting valid signatures. It's just not, it's not feasible. It's not doable. It's, um, I keep saying it, you know, a lot of this stuff goes back to money and sometimes you have to have money to run successfully and it's unfortunate and not even talking about the fundraising aspect of it, but just getting ready to run the initial spot. Like it takes money to do this. And I think though we've seen it the last election, you're seeing more, more and more just regular people running for office. We've had a few on the show 
some won, some didn't, but they're kind of in your spot too. They had no idea what they're doing. And of course they call me right away and I'm like, I don't really know all this oh, stuff. Yeah. And I have a lot of support <laughs> through my, through my uh, time with labor and, yeah. and being connected with basically every, every labor union in Southern Colorado, I've got some connection with all of them yeah. and they're very helpful, yeah. but they also work full time. And they themselves have never gone through the process. Yep. So so we all knew a little bit, even coming into this, I knew a little bit. But then when I started researching it, I found out how little I really yeah, knew yeah. and how much none of us know. Yeah. And it's not it's not our fault. I mean, you have to go you have to walk this to know it, what it's about. Yeah. Yeah. And it's kind of a good test too, right? To see if somebody's truly dedicated because I know if I was in that spot I'd be like, I quit. I give up. Like I'm not gonna do this. But Oh, it goes through my mind every day. It goes through <laughs> my mind every day. So um so you're not going to go the petition route. Um, so you need 30% of the votes. 30%. Yeah. And how many delegates are there? Or estimated how many do they think there's going to be? It, in a perfect world, it'd be like 600. Okay. But it'll be less than yeah, that. Yeah, so, I mean, I don't know. We probably need 180 delegate votes or maybe even a little less than yeah, that. Yeah, I think uh, the... Um, the other side of the aisle there just came out and they had 182 or something like that were the total. Yeah. Total wow. for delegates for wow. the County. Um, don't quote me on that. I just heard that this morning, so I haven't actually seen it, but it wasn't near as many as I thought it would be. So, well, the thing is I noticed too, is that after the last weekend's caucus that people are showing up for their candidate. And when you start adding this number of candidates, you get a lot yeah. of, you get a lot more participation. Yeah. So we'll see probably three people out of this. Um, I, I can't see it being split between two. I, I think we'll see at least, you know, or three candidates out of the, the caucus. Um, and so when you go there, for people that don't know, um, basically you go, somebody nominates you, correct? That's my understanding. Yep. yep. And then somebody seconds it. Yep. And they usually say a little little bit about you, like, you know, I, I'm so-and-so, and I've known Rick this long. He's a good guy. I nominate him. And then somebody stands up and seconds it. And then from there, the delegates, after they see everybody that's nominated, then they all vote for it. Correct. And so your job there is to work over the delegates. Right. So Like that, as of now. Start yeah, working yeah, them as over of now. now. And, and tell them why you're running and what you're going to do. And that's how you win those votes, um, which I, I get it. Um, I think we're one of the few states that still does it this way. But it's interesting to see because I always thought it was a fine balance between the, the caucuses and assembly because you have more of the activists show up. So you see more of the kind of the, the fringe of the party show up. Um, and it's interesting to watch candidates because they kind of cater to that a little bit, even though they may not be that. Um, and then, you know, there's wild cards in it as well. Like there might be somebody they don't even know is running and they stand up there and they have like 80 people show up and, uh, that's happened a few times. Um, I, I know, uh, Congressman Lamborn, I think it was two elections ago. He's in a pretty safe seat up in Colorado Springs, which obviously, you know, and, mm -hmm. and, um, there was some, some grief that he wasn't showing up places and, and some angry people, uh, no idea he was going to have a primary opponent. And somebody got up and got 60% of the votes. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Wow. Now, in the primary, she didn't win. And that just kind of shows, like, that, yeah, you have more of the people tied to a candidate or more of the activists, more active people in the party show up, but they don't always represent the voters across the oh, board. Oh, yeah, you, you could know. stack a meeting. If you know enough people, yeah. you could stack a meeting. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting, and it's kind of fun. I always enjoyed going to them and the, the big ones because you never knew what you are going to see. And there's, like – 
people standing there with sandwich board signs on saying, you know, so-and-so is the devil. And it's like, what? (laughs) (laughs) I just talked to him. I'm pretty sure he's not the devil, but it's an interesting process. But again, I don't think the average person sees that how much work actually goes into running for something. You know, they think you just like, Oh, I want to run and you run. That's it. It's not that easy. Um, so if you had a magic wand to fix something in the county clerk's office right now, what would you do? I think it, this might not be super popular, but I think the biggest thing to do was be to improve labor management relations with the clerks in that office. That would be the biggest thing to do because you got, I think 10 of them have said that have expressed a desire that they're going to try to quit. Mm-hmm. Um, I was told by one that if I didn't win or somebody didn't win besides him, she would be gone in November and she's, so if you can't, it's like everything right now. If you lose those employees that know the job that don't need to be trained, you know, they need to be get on the same page, but that's different than taking somebody off the street and training them. Yeah. You know, where there's a six or eight month or who knows how long window yeah. to get them up to the efficiency of a longtime employee. I think that they need to keep the employees they have and they need to recruit more employees. Uh, is there an employee shortage right now? Clerk's office? I know that at one time they were, I think I remember it was six or 10 mm-hmm. uh, employees short. And I don't know as of today, but I would suspect that like every other part yeah, of everywhere, the economy, they're short. Yeah. I mean, you just came from a business where you were always short. Yeah. That's <laughs> literally the reason I quit working for the Bureau of Prisons. I had a good job. Uh, it was seniority based. I had a good job, mm-hmm. but there's, you know, you work in 16 hours a day yeah. because they don't have staff. Yeah. And that's when I first met you. Um, you guys came in the office and um, back when I worked for Congressman Tipton and on paper, everything looked good. They were good at showing it on paper saying, no, we're doing fine. Of course, we're a little short, but it's not the end of the world. And then <laughs> you guys came in and showed us how it really was. Uh, and what And what we showed you, well, those were the good times. When you were working for the senator, those were the good times because they are much, much shorter than wow. than that now. But guess what the Bureau of Prisons official stance is? No, we're still we're a little tiny bit short, but we're mm-hmm. really close because what they do is they just they fudge their numbers. They just say we don't need two hundred officers, we need one hundred and eighty. And then another year goes by and they say we don't need one hundred and eighty. We're only we're only supposed to have one fifty. Well, if you keep making that number lower, it looks at your staffing percentage is good. But then when you look at every single employee is working 16 hours a day, three and four days of their work week, because you don't have anybody else to work. And that, it being the son of law enforcement, both mother and father, that kills a family. And, and you know, I, I don't have much time to retire federally right now. And, of course, my dad said, well, go work for the prison. I'm like, I don't want to go work for the prison. It's like I tried to help those guys out the best I could. I see what it's like there. I I can't do that. I have four kids. You know, my wife works. Like, that would be impossible for me. And I I look at you guys, and, again, I'm the son of a cop. And, of course, he's went through a few divorces during our time. And I I just can't see myself doing that to my family right now. That is a hard job. I mean, that's – well, it is. It, it's murder on family when you when you go to work and you don't know if you're getting off at three or if you're getting yeah. off at eleven or twelve midnight. You know, so and this whole staffing shortage at the federal prison is just totally self. It, it feeds itself. It's 
the shorter you get, the more overtime you get. The more overtime you get, the more people quit. The more people to quit, the more overtime. And it, it, like it's it's just a a never ending cycle of destruction. And, and the I don't even know how the barrel can fix it. We did get uh, employees ten percent retention pay. That's good for two years. And there's it's on the table now to give them more. Mm-hmm. But it's like everything in Colorado. You know, I saw this morning wages are up. Nationwide, five percent inflation's seven and a half, yeah. and uh, it's it's the same everywhere. It's, it, yeah. People aren't making enough to pay for rent or for uh, to purchase a home. Yeah. So why even go to work? I guess that's the thought. I don't. I'm not yeah, really sure. I, d- I don't. I don't think anybody's figured that out. You know, they said that once the federal unemployment would end, that we'll see people starting to go back to work, and it just never happened. Um, so I, I don't know. We've tried to figure this out. I, smarter people than me have been talking about this for a while, and it seems like every two weeks it's a different reason. But, you know, when working for the prison, you can't just quit either. Like, I mean, you can quit, but if you're, first off, just your integrity, being in that type of job, you know, you're not just going to say, like, I quit today. Bye, guys. You're not going to leave everybody there. Like, it's not something you can do. And even then, you know, it's it's just – that's not the right thing to do. It's not like working at McDonald's, you know, where I'm over this, let's walk out. Yeah. And they get, they get you hooked besides the loyalty to your friends and, and every, and your coworkers, but they get you hooked because it's, you can not well, but you can retire after 20 years if you're age 50. Mm-hmm. So they get you once you get past 10 years, it's, it's just like yep. the military. Once you get past that 10 years, you're like, <laughs> I can work 10 years here. Or I can work 18 years somewhere yeah. else. So you know, it's, they get you, they get you. Yeah. What, um, besides staffing, um, you know, what, what's another major issue impacting the, the prisons today? I know the inmate population isn't shrinking, correct? So we are incarcerating less people as a country right now than we had been in the last 10 years, but they're also at the same time, the current administration is, getting away from privatization of prisons. So these private prisons are getting closed one at a time and they're sending them back to the federal prisons. So no, the, the population is not really shrinking. Yeah. And that's, uh, I was going to bring that up actually. So even though they're incarcerating less, they're sending you guys more. Basically. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. With less people. Every, every prison in the country. And I think this pretty much, I know for the state of Colorado, all the prisons are short and the federal's short. And yeah. I believe the whole federal system short at this point. Yeah, I think with everything across the board too. Um, it's just unfortunate because that's such an important job. But, um, so switching gears back to running for office, um, you know, Action 22, uh, we're passionately nonpartisan, as we like to say. I don't care what party you're with. As long as you're doing good by Colorado, specifically rural Colorado, that's what we care about. Um, our board is very diverse from political beliefs across the board but we all kind of get together on the same team to look out for that area that's on the map that um, you can see at action22.org. And you can also join at action22.org. But um, the frustration right now among our membership is this polarization and it's 100% my way or the highway. And unfortunately that doesn't get stuff done. Now, rural Colorado I don't think it's like that. You know, we're, we're, we're in this together. Um, Pueblo, Colorado Springs may be a little bit different, but for the surrounding counties that we represent, 
you know, there's an understanding. It's like, we're in this together. We may not agree. We're going to come to a solution. Unfortunately, a lot of these issues, laws, legislation comes from Denver or the, the metro areas where you have the Springs and the Denver and Boulder. And it's not like that up there. It's more of the, the polarized, div, div, divisive um, way of thinking about certain issues. And it impacts us here. Um, we don't have the numbers to, to, to vote on this where you can take, uh, you know, a county like any northern Denver area county. You know, they have the majority of the representatives or majority of the senators, whereas in rural we have one for like four counties or seven counties. So our impact isn't as big. So we're, we're trying to get people to talk to each other. And the Attorney General, Phil Weiser, um, he, he's doing a, a great project. Uh, I think it's the, the Ginsburg Project where he's taking people that are generally known or political or business leaders that disagree passionately about something. And he's hosting these talks where they sit down and they talk about the issue, kind of like a debate, but more of like a, a conversation like we're having now. Um, what do you think can be done about this polarization? And I you know you're getting ready to go into the, the lion's den of, of polarization right now, but you know, what's your thoughts on that? Like we have to do something because this divide will only lead to destruction basically. And I'm, I'm not to be an alarmist, but you know, that's what will tear a country apart. How do we fix this? So I, you just said you're, you're being, you don't want to be an alarmist. I just read something a couple of weeks ago that said we are the 47th most stable government in the world. We're number 47. Americans always want to say that we're number one at this and this and that and this and that. And the fact is, is we're not. We're number one at incarceration, but we're number 47th. And that's what this polarization has gotten us. It's gotten us to the point where we are not even ranked in the top 10 stable governments. So – um, this polarization threatens democracy. It, th- it, it threatens our way of life. It threatens the peace that we have in this country. And I feel like that if it, if we don't work as it work on it, bo- both sides, any side, doesn't matter what side we're going to end up in a situation where we're, we're looking a lot like Ukraine. I, I think it is, you should be an alarmist about it because the fact is, is we should say, Hey, we're human beings and we're Americans and we're Coloradans and many of us speak the same languages and we wear kind of the same style of clothes and we live in the same kind of houses more or less. Like we have a lot more in common than we have yes. that is not. We, we share more traits than we do with anybody else in the world. We is, we're as close to one people as there is, is anybody. You can't go to another country, go to Spain and say, Oh, I'm more like them. No, no, you're more like a Coloradan that lives down the street from me. So we should start with by saying, hey, we have the same life and we have the same values for the most part and the same culture for the most part. And we should try to find common ground. And if we don't, I don't think you're being alarmist at all. Yeah. And our kids go to the same school. Yeah. Our parents are in the same nursing home. Um, We all go to the same hospital. Like, again, we're in this together. And and I know I tout the rural side of it a lot, but I think rural Colorado kind of has it figured out. Um, You know, when COVID hit, we thought, I mean, the projection from the the thinkers up top was these rural communities were going to be devastated. And I kind of laughed because they were already devastated and they're making do and they're figuring out these solutions, banding together. And you know what? They made it through COVID pretty good. It wasn't as bad as we thought. It hit some of the bigger cities worse just because 
everything had to be shut down. But in the rural areas, you know, they, they weathered it really well. And there's like this look of surprise or shock. It's like, well, how, how did they do this? You know, talking to, again, some of the, the suits up on the hill. And it's like, they, dude, they've been doing this for 20, 30 years. This is just their way of life. And, and you see that, you know, you go to a small town and you may not agree politically with people, but they all show up to the same church or they all show up to the same restaurant and they all, they all talk to each other and respect each other. Maybe not all of them, but, um, you know, for the most part where, I go to other areas, these larger cities and, and, you know, it's like people won't even look at you you in the eye when you walk by, you know, um, they, they're put off by the way you dress or, you know, you have an article of clothing on that they just hate and it's stupid. It's, it's like, come on, man, like we're it's, all here. Yeah, it's funny because you said that. Like we we talked, I went to school in Alamosa. Mm-hmm. And when I moved there, the first like six months was really kind of rough because it was so, it was slower paced. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. so after living there for four years, I lived there for four years. And then I moved to Denver for a year. And when I was standing in line at the grocery store, so I was like, hey, how you doing? And they just like roll their eyes at me. And I was like, what the heck? So you, I didn't even realize that in the four years that I was in Alamosa, that the people in the grocery store actually, if you're standing in line, they, they actually talk to yep. you. <laughs> they actually talk. <laughs> and I mean, this is before we all had cell phones. So yeah. maybe, maybe not so much anymore, but I mean, definitely in the, in the early nineties, yeah. mid nineties that people would talk to you and everybody looked familiar after a while. Yeah. So you, you didn't know their name or where they live, but they looked familiar. So you'd be like, Hey, how you doing? And, yeah. and you'd strike up, strike up a conversation. Yeah. Or if you're stopped on the side of the road, people stop and make sure you're okay. You know, try doing that in yep. Denver. No, yeah, um, it's not going to happen. Yeah, it's not. Well, we, we like to kind of, speaking of positivity, I ask all of our guests to share a good story, um, something positive about your experiences. Uh, it could be from the prison. It could be any, anywhere. What's a good story? Good-hearted story. Good-hearted story? A, good, a good-hearted story from a, a guy that just retired from prison. <laughs> oh, Boy, after working 24 years in a prison, you wouldn't think that'd be hard, but <laughs> it kind of is. Um, I th- I think it's good hearted when I when I took over the the union. Um, they they had a little bit of money and they had a little bit of um, camaraderie there, but over the the course of time, I doubled the membership, and mm-hmm. uh, they didn't have quorum to meet meetings because you got to have like seven or nine people, mm-hmm. and there was times when. I would have 40 or 50 or 60 people show up to a meeting. Depends on where we had it. But if it was someplace they wanted, we even had one where we had a, a guy, a, a union representative from out of state come. Mm-hmm. And he said, can you can we meet on Thursday? And I said, yeah, we can meet Thursday. He said, can we have a meeting? Can we get all the people together? I said, yeah. So we had it at Cat's Poor House in Pueblo West. And I think it was about 100 people showed wow. up. And uh, he's like, how did you get 100 people to come out here? I said, well, I'll offer them free dinner and to talk to mm-hmm. you. And he's like, Still 10 people usually show up. I said, well, because we're just here to, to yeah. visit. I mean, it was nice. It was nice to see the people come together. Yeah, yeah. And I, I really appreciated when you guys came in the office and kind of kept us in the loop on what was going on and how we could help. I know it was tough. And with Congress, everything moves at a snail pace. But mm-hmm. I would like to think that we did something that caused a positive impact and helped out a little bit. I know our, our D.C. office was just screaming, you know, you'd bring in 
stuff and I'd send it up and, and Congressman Tipton was actually very concerned about a lot of it. But again, it's a fight. And it, on a federal level, it takes forever. Oh, the bureaucracy. If you yeah. just wanted to say, okay, we can fix this with throwing money at those people. That's a five, six, seven year process. Yeah. If you want to give them a 10% permanent raise, you're, you could be talking a better part of a decade to give yeah. them a raise. That's just the way it is. Which is so beautiful about local politics, right? Because you run for a local office like county clerk and recorder, you can change stuff immediately. Like you can see the changes. And, and that's why it's important to get out there and vote specifically for county commissioner, city council, um, clerk and recorder, because as an elected official in those spots, you can change stuff like this. There's there's a little bit of bureaucracy. You know, it's not that easy, but it but is. It, it can be done in a reasonable yeah. amount of time. Yeah. 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 I, uh, the sheriff, um, Sheriff Taylor, he told us a story that uh, as sheriff, the deputies wanted to have like mustaches or beards or something like that. And he says, you know what I need to do? I just sign a piece of paper and it takes effect right then. But the police wanted something similar, and it took a year because of the bureaucracy of it, just how it's set up. And and as an elected official, you kind of have that power, you know, that responsibility that if something needs to be changed, you can change it. You're the man to do that. So appreciate you running for that office. Um, I know it's going to be an uphill battle. The incumbent's been there. It seems bulletproof. But as you said, there's a lot of people running right now, so... At the at the very minimum, hopefully he gets the message that you know people are unhappy with the way things are going. Um, positive, you'll be the next county clerk and recorder. Well, I appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, anything else you want to talk about? No. No. All right. Well, thank you for listening. This was making action happen. Um, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns for any of us or any of our guests, email us at show at action twenty two dot org. If you want to join Action Twenty Two, which you should. Go to action22.org, and we also have a housing summit coming up April 29th. Um, it's going to be huge. It started off with like 30 people. Now we're looking at well over 100 people, agencies. Um, they're going to be there, and we're going to talk all things housing. Thank you. We'll talk to you next week. This episode of Making Action Happen is sponsored by Action 22's amazing energy leaders, XL Energy, Colorado Rural Electric Association, Colorado Oil and Gas Association, Gil Romero and the Capital Success Group, Black Hills Energy, Nextera Energy, San Isabel Electric Association, Outshine Energy, Colorado Solar and Storage Association, Tri-State and 174 Power Global. Action 22 is a nonpartisan, membership-driven organization which serves as a voice for action on public policy for 22 southern Colorado counties on the state and federal level. We focus on how issues relating to Colorado legislation, local government affairs, health care, education, and natural resources intersect for the economic health of our region. If you're a leader in your community and are considering joining Action 22, you can get more information by emailing show at action22.org or visit our website at action22.org. Thank you for tuning in to Making Action Happen. Be sure to join your hosts, Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain, for another edition of the show on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.